Welcome one and all to Telstra Behind the Mic. My name's Adam Spencer and today we're going to be talking 5G. 5G. I can still remember that frisson of excitement when I first looked down at a phone in my hand and saw 5G up in the top right hand corner. I was connected. I was on this latest, greatest, exciting, sexy new network. It was five years ago that 5G first came into play. It was in 2018 that Telstra launched the first 5G devices for Australians. There was a lot of hype at the time, so I thought five years on is a good time to look at 5G. What has it delivered? Where is it going? Has it delivered on the hype? Are there any myths about 5G that need to be busted? Well, our guest today is perfectly suited to answer these sort of questions because Paul Milford heads up Telstra's 5G Innovation Centre on the Gold Coast. In that gig, he's responsible for the discovery and validation of current, emerging and future tech and applying those things to customer solutions. This guy's old school. He was back at Telstra way back in the day of 3G. He's been instrumental in driving 3G, 4G, 5G and other emerging tech within the Telstra ecosystem. And he's passionate about maintaining Telstra as a leading world-class technology company. So, Paul Milford, welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. Thank you, Adam. Um, it, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, that's a fabulous introduction. Well, thank you. In fact, I might have actually sold you short in the old school since you would have been around even when 2G evolved into 3G, wouldn't you? Yes, Adam, and in fact, even 1G evolving into 2G. Wow. And believe it or not, even before that, there was actually a network, the 007 network, that was the precursor to what the, what we call 1G or analog mobile for phone service, amps. So I've been around a while, Adam. But, but, but when we look at you know 3G now compared to 5G, it looks a little bit old and out of date, but the switch at the time from 2G to 3G, am I right, that was essentially from voice and text to being able to browse the internet and check email and things like that. At the time, that was massive, wasn't it? It absolutely was. And, you know, the start of, you know, when, when we went from 1G to 2G, we thought that was massive because that was the first time we digitised this connection from the handset to the base station. You had security, you had a SIM card, and we thought that was pretty revolutionary. And in those days, just making phone calls, a crazy little thing like SMS came in. We didn't think that was going to take off, Adam, because, you know, <laughs> everyone had pages in those days. It was, it was pretty cool. But then when 3G came along, it was really putting the internet to your phone. And we thought it was pretty amazing. You know, before that was snakes and ladders and, and games like that on your Nokia phone and your 2G. And all of a sudden, 3G was all about getting data to the handset, to the phone, to get the internet on the phone. So that was quite quite a revolutionary change. And what Telstra did actually was roll it out across the whole country. And that was a game changer globally that we did. That was a huge thing that enabled a lot of us to do more things in more places. In all those evolutions from there to where we are now, is it possible for you to pinpoint the single biggest disruptor or moment of disruption on that journey? That's a really hard question because every single one, and if you, if you just give me a couple of minutes, I'll explain why it's a bit hard, because every single generation, that's what the G means, has brought in new technology that was disruptive or 
or enabled disruptive technologies to occur. Hmm. When I mentioned 1G analog, that was very insecure. In fact, you could tune in and listen to conversations, and um, I think some politicians learn, learn about that the hard way if you go through your history. So 2G I mentioned before was digitizing the voice. It allowed us to get voice out there, you know, better capacity, but have better security. So had a SIM card, so you went through there. So 2G itself was fairly disruptive because early on it was disruptive to those paging systems, to those answering services that were very polite and said, hello, Adam Spencer's office, can I take a message for him and whatever, <laughs> had that persona. But guess what? 2G came into, into text, into short message service, as we call it, and that was significant disruptive. 3G came in. 3G was a different way of communicating different spectrum, and it was getting data to the user. So that was from the internet to the phone and then the phone and other devices and broadband devices, you know, as we worked through that that technology, we added it, made it faster, made it faster, made it faster. 4G came in and 4G was bigger, better pipes in the downlink. But the new game changer, Adam, was in the uplink. So then video broadcasting, journalists, mm. the death of the outside broadcast unit effectively happened and the uplink was a key thing. And the 4G network was fabulous. It, we got it up to two gigabits a second in the downlink for those who love numbers. And in the uplink, you can get over 100 megabits per second. And then come 5G. And people often say, well, what's so different about 5G? But 5G was, again, early versions of it using the 4G and 5G pipes at the same time to give you faster throughput. You had the uplink that was relatively the same at this stage for 4G. But a new dimension that came in was called latency. Mm. And latency is just the time it gets for a packet of information to get from one point to another. So every single one of those had disruptive elements. And I think with 5G, we're continuing in the evolution of the technology. And 5G will be the enabler where we have the compute and the programs that normally run on our, you know, what we call them hyperscalers, but that's Microsoft, Amazon, Google, those enterprise applications and the digitization of business are moving to what we call cloud-based computing. And that cloud-based computing can then interact with the network. And that, that state and that uh, level of disruption will continue now for the next decade or so. It has been an amazing journey for me that i think the video changed things in a way that people just hadn't quite predicted it was going to but you're right there's so many highlights on the way and it is going forward now that 5g's been in market in australia for five years paul let's drill down more into how the technology has changed and what it's allowing us to do now that we simply couldn't do before 5g and many of these things might be something that now five years in we almost take for granted or a blasé about, but a, a quite radical propositions five years ago. What, what, what's changed? What are we doing now that we couldn't do before? Well, the first thing is on the speed, right? And, and I'll probably talk about Telstra's achievements in World First. Like, without 5G, we couldn't get the ridiculous fastest downlink speed record globally. The first one is implement 7.3 gigabits a second. That's huge. So you say, well, we, we combine, you know... Um, different frequencies to do that, that enables us to deliver the service or the level of service to customers in, in high capacity venues like stadiums, train stations, in airports, high built up areas where lots of people are there. 
So that's what one enabler that 5G has allowed us to do. 5G, of course, with each generation provides more enhanced security. It's going to allow us within the architecture to provide more resiliency in the way we provide the service. And what I mean about that is we, in the standards, we're adopting what they call cloud-based computing architectures. So for the listeners, what the hell does that mean? That just means we don't have to put all our stuff in, in, our, in our geography, say Sydney and Melbourne, what's called monolithic type style architecture to more distributed type architecture. And with this cloud-based computing, it will allow us to automate and orchestrate the network. So those words mean that we will be able to dimension the network, respond to events, to capacity more autonomously, and to provide that level of service to our customers. The last thing, Adam, is that automation and orchestration, that is the start of making our network more advanced and intelligent. And that advanced and intelligence is required for our next stepping stone as we incrementally advance our network towards the next generation, which is called 6G. Now, that's not until 10 years' time, you know, or 8 to 10-odd years' time, but the network will continually evolve. And the big thing that we're doing differently to the past generations is making the network more advanced, more secure, and more resilient. I was in an airport recently, and it, it is one of these things you become a little bit blasé about. I was in an airport and about to take a long flight. I think I was doing Sydney, Perth, and I was checking through one of my um, streaming services, and I thought I'd downloaded this series. I was really keen to binge on the flight, and it had when I, I tried to do it in a hotel the night before, and it just hadn't downloaded across that hotel Wi-Fi. And so I quickly loaded it up and tried to download all eight episodes and in the time I went to get a sandwich and come back and just about to be called for the flight, I had downloaded an entire season of something on Netflix or whatever. That's mind-blowing yeah. when you think about it. But it is true, Paul. Some people hearing this go, oh, yeah, yeah, but as long as you get the, the 5G coverage and I still can't quite get it sometimes and I drop back onto 4G, etc. Is there potential improvement in... Is coverage still a bit of a sketchy spot in this whole puzzle? Coverage is always a, a complex you know, thing to think to answer because with Telstra, we have 11-odd thousand base stations everywhere and to provide 5G, it's a civil engineering um, upgrade, Adam. It's uh, fixing the site so you have the structural capability to handle the antennas. Um, you know, you're putting more, more stuff on something. You have to change the power. You have to look at the transmission. So it's not an easy, easy thing to just make everything 5G everywhere. And of course, our environment's changing all the time. Suburban creep, you know, there's new buildings built. So there's always a constant change in the radio environment that impacts coverage. Um, Adam, we, we make our sort of commitments to the population. And when we look at coverage, when we look at how we're... Uh, progressing to not only you know expand 5G but we're also expanding 4G believe it or not in in the very peripheries of our network so that we can um, you know provide better coverage solutions better capacity solutions to our customers and nothing nothing stays still our utilization our usage is always growing up and it's a a constant challenge we've had 
in 5G, but we had it in 4G, and we also had it in the early stage of 3G. So it's a, a continual cycle of investment in the coverage and the capacity that we do every year. And a lot of the times my group are looking at the emerging technology and we're making decisions about what what's the new stuff that we put in because there's always a time shift, a time delay between putting the latest and greatest into what you already planned you know, before the previous evolution of tech or upgrade of technology comes along. So it's a difficult question to answer. We're trying, we're not trying, we're, we've got our plans, we continue to expand all the time. We deal sometimes with coverage holes when someone knocks a building down and we had our base station there and then we're trying to find alternate. There's complexities all the time with coverage, but um, our reach, we're the leaders domestically and we are continually trying to provide the best experience to all our, to all our customers in as many locations as we can. You, you mentioned 3G because 3G is going to be closing soon, isn't it? What impact is that going to have mm. on enterprise? And I was, I was at a small local cafe the other day in, a, in an obscure small little beach and we were on the 3G network there. What happens in a place like that when you currently get 3G when the uh, 3G network closes, Paul? This is always a hard thing for operators to do. Shutting down a network is always painful, and we communicated that well in advance, Adam, that we, hey, um, to everyone, these are our plans. We, we're going to turn it off. Um, we don't just make these decisions off the cuff. Um, they are planned. We want to reuse the spectrum that 3G has right now for 5G. So we have to say we're turning this off to repurpose that spectrum. The spectrum is how the radio signals get to the mobile from the mobile back. There will be challenges as we go through it, but we've done the first step and and more or less informing this is a hard date. We're going to turn the network off. We will we will look at coverage and there will be discussions and interactions as we always do towards the final date on doing what we call coverage equivalents. Like coverage equivalence is that you got it before how can I don't get it now? Hmm. There are always unique cases. Um, we had a term when we turned off analog and then we did the same thing with CDMA called fortuitous coverage. Sounds very interesting, doesn't it? And that's hmm. just by nature radio waves that they bounce off hill or a side or whatever and you you know, you stand on the top of the hill, I had coverage, you've you've turned it off and now it doesn't work. Fortuitous coverage is, you know, the stuff beyond the coverage maps. Even with the new technology, because we're using similar similar frequency bands, we hope that that will be mitigated. There will be challenges all the time when you turn off an existing network and um, they will be addressed, they will be communicated in advance. But the most important thing is we won't do it you know, overnight, heaven forbid, but we'll give plenty of time for our enterprise customers to understand if we're making a purchase decision with a 3G device or had existing fleet of devices that had 3G, please understand that we have to move to 4G. We're moving to 4G to get better utilization of the 5G network and offer better services, you know, as we can with this new technology. We're also doing that because of operational impacts and it's a lot easier from a from a power consumption, from a cost point of view. And at all those base station sites, it makes it a bit easier sometimes actually put the 5G in there if you've turned off the 3G. 
There's a lot of reasoning in that decision. Let's look at 5G, five years in, as I said. What, what has it done for the technology industry overall? How's the mobile network influencing new use cases across industry? What are you seeing in your capacity there, Paul? So, Adam, I, I wish I had a dollar early on <laughs> for what is the killer use case for 5G. I got asked that. You were touching on some history there. Back on the 5th of December in 2018, at Telstra's Investor Day in Sydney at Florida George Street, we showed the very first commercial handset in Australia using our using the what we call mid-band uh, spectrum with that magic 5G symbol. Um, it was a demonstration that we did, and even on that day, in the in front of the journalists, we were asked, "So, what's a killer use case? What's a killer use case?" As we evolve and as we've moved on, um, our 4G network was pretty good. But what we're seeing with 5G is the nature of, as, a, as it's matured in the last five years, better speeds down, more proliferation of devices. In the standards, 5G is now, for IoT devices, introducing a new capability in the chipset. The chipset is... The, the chip that goes inside your phone. Your phone has another chip that does all the stuff, all the great stuff, but it's really how it communicates to the network. And they always get bigger, better, and there's different capabilities to handle this new amazing technology. But in the IoT space, you know, I, I use this analogy, that chipset's fairly powerful. So you don't need a V12 to, a, to do a job that, a, you know, a two-stroke can do when it comes to the rate of transmission and mobility and everything else. So in the future, you'll see more proliferation of IoT devices um, that, that will be part of the 5G network. In the, in the future now, as I get to the question, is, is when I mention that cloud computing, when I talk about an intelligence, advanced and intelligent networks, we will be able to provide a lot more different types of services to, to our customers that will provide an experience, a service experience, that will utilize the capabilities of the network. So when I say service experience, I'm talking about your, your video conferencing application working with the right level of service as you work from home and as you, as you move through, you know, like Teams or, or those sort of things. It, it, it'll, be, it'll work far better on the Telstra network because it's, it has a slice or we call a network slice or a service experience that will provide you the required service level parameters and performance to operate very well. But I gave an example of, say, a Microsoft Teams slice or a video conferencing slice. We will have the ability to provide a service that requires low throughput but high latency to do control, can do automation of, of equipment. We can provide slices that will provide a certain level of standard in the uplink only for broadcasting or sending information. There's a range of services that we will unlock, and particularly with latency where I've got a certain um, application that has to run with, I don't know, say a 10 millisecond response to process in whatever it's doing, it will need to be placed not in Sydney or Melbourne, but say in Townsville if you're up there or in Perth if you're up there. So the network will actually work what level of service you want to, and it'll automatically assure and report on that you're giving that level of service. Paul, I, I know in, in on other episodes of Behind the Mic, I've spoken to some people involved in Telstra's agri 
business. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff going on in the agribusiness vertical. Just briefly, what are some of the things you've seen them use uh, 5G when they've leveraged that to digitise, provide better outcomes, et cetera, in the agribusiness sector? So agribusiness is an amazing sector in Australia. A um, lot of growth opportunities for us, well, for, for everyone. Um, in fact, Vicky Brady, our CEO, mentioned that um, that key point in when she addressed Mobile World Congress um, uh, in Barcelona earlier this year. So in agribusiness, like a lot of our industries, there's a multitude of technologies we can look at. The Internet of Things, IoT, measuring, informing, updating. Um, there's also a range of technologies that are coming out now that we can look at in this area. I remember you you were talking to Warren Jennings, I think, and John Young Flores, and we were talking about supply chain. So we won't go there. Mm. I know you're very passionate about supply chain, Adam, but... Love a good supply chain. <laughs> supply chain, the Internet of Things, data, transmission, that, that provenance, guaranteeing of provenance, guaranteeing that that product came from that place, assuring that the even when it was through the transit, that um, as you go through the guaranteed freight areas, you know, like if it's coal storage or I think Warren from memory had a term called ambient transport lanes, well, you know, it doesn't really need that stuff. There's a, there's a whole range of things that we're un- unlocking there. Um, the number one problem we have when people talk to us about agribusiness and their enablement is that thing you brought up before, coverage. So what we're looking at now is there's a lots of options in providing coverage for things to do things in those agricultural environments to run the applications and then participate in the industry. Um, our IoT network is is very expansive. Over four and a half million, and I mean million kilometres in a technology called IoT. Mm. So what does that mean? That means low transactional uh, volume that the sensor in a pump or something just wakes up and tells you what's what's happening. Over three and a half million square kilometres for a thing called narrowband IoT which just means that sensor can transmit a bit more data and can tolerate slow movement around. You can move it around. So those that sensory network, that capability is already out there. But when you come to a farm and you want to digitise, you want to use a thing called vision-based AI, which is a camera pointing at something, running some maths, some algorithms to determine, um, you know, to do any form of recognition, to identify even cows, identify, um, you know, infrared looking at a pump that's running hot to just do just enough something's walk past there. Um, there's a range of technologies now that we're looking to provide on the, on the premise in these regional areas their own network. We call it our dedicated network. A dedicated network is a private network that a customer can actually control if they want it but also allows other people to have a Telstra experience or experience like on our network on there at the same time, hence dedicated network. That's a big deal because when we were talking to industry and we're talking to our um, a lot of our customers as we look and we stress test this latest technology and then we look at how could we use, what's the adoption of this technology, how could we provide this um, these network technology capabilities into our products and solutions. It was a very important moment, Adam, where I was talking to a, a person that was um, in charge of a, a feedlot, and he said, "If you know, that, that, that private network thing of yours would make sense, Paul, he says, but think of the logistics coming in and out, and you know, you can customise, and, and if you have this private network, you can use a SIM. 
you can give the same. He goes, I've got truck drivers, I've got delivery drivers coming in and out. I, I don't have a full-time admin just giving out sims or connecting or doing stuff. That That's nightmare. And that's when we explained, if we have the dedicated network, if you're a Telstra customer coming onto this network, your 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 phone would still work. And we could control them so they're not you know, streaming the Netflix that you mentioned before earlier, but they could make you know phone calls and operate an experience and they could drop off the truck or get the message or or acknowledge that they're on site simply for, you know, for OC health and safety or logistics sort of concerns. So there's a lot, a lot happening in not just the connectivity on the farm, but also then the applications that you run on the farm as well. So we're looking at creating a holistic solution, combine the network and the applications to run on site. And the connectivity options and how we put this together are what we're currently working on and about to test and validate the early early versions of that. You mentioned with the earlier Gs that you could at one stage even drop in and just listen in on people's phone calls, a sort of mobile phone version of the old yes. when you had the two landline phones in the one house. If you picked up the phone when your brother was on the phone quietly, you could hear what he was saying to his girlfriend and embarrass him later. Um, <laughs> how secure is 5G? Is security an issue? No, no. In fact... 5G and all these generations, security is front of mind. Um, you you can't listen in an eavesdrop. That's way back in analog days, and analog by nature meant that you know you could just dial up that frequency and listen on it. No way. The the thing about the evolution of these new technologies is security in the standards is top of mind, and to to listen in and hack on their radio interface, no chance. There's no chance. In fact, I don't think that even if you were the most resourceful state-backed individuals in the world, you would you would struggle to tap, and you couldn't even listen in on that interface. So very secure. You, you mentioned you mentioned it's a, it's still a decade away, six G. But the the first time I heard the phrase, it was again Telstra CEO Vicky Brady said she'd been shown under the hood a little bit of six G, and I got very very. Uh, excited. Um, is is Let's not spend too much time on this because it's a long way off, but is 6G just going to be a faster version of 5G? Is it just 5G with more grunt or will it be in any way fundamentally different? It will leverage off the building blocks of what we're going to build in the next decade. Um, I, I used to not try not to talk about 6G, Adam, because I was saying, look, we've got 5G, we're working through it. But but I had to I had to set these, I suppose, bookends of expectation with people on on where it is. Um, all our wireless industry is built upon specifications, global specifications that are part of the third generation, um, well, they call it 3GPP. And, and if, if I try to speed this up, it's a global series of experts, thousands and thousands of PhDs from across the industry, from people who basically build network equipment to device manufacturers, to OEM providers, to operators, and Telstra is part of it. 3G, third generation partnership projects is what 3GPP. So that's the standards. So Paul, some businesses would be thinking, this is a bit scary, the sort of digital transformation you're talking about. I've been doing things the way I have for a long time. That goes well. There are challenges when I try and digitise my business. What advice do you give to organisations or individuals who are apprehensive about making the change of what they might see as you know, diving into the very cutting edge of new technology? 
I think I could understand and have empathy on, on that trepidation. But the key thing is you've got to start the digitization process. It will be to be more efficient in what you do. But I think as the expectations of industry, as the expectations of government coming through on, we mentioned supply chain, we mentioned the authenticity of your products, no matter what you're doing, you will have to be able to, I won't say the word guarantee, but certify that that product that you're either using to do your products or what you're producing um, complies with industry regulations, government regulations, and a whole range of stuff. More and more, I don't want to say environmental influences or burdens are coming onto industry. So without digitization, without having that enablement of your of your business, um, you're you're going to be exposed at some stage either by competition of your competitors who have done that or actually just even a ticket to play. It's it's a direction we're all going to have to go to. And even if you look at sustainability, you look at power consumption, you look at a lot of stuff, I use I use a term with my team all the time, to measure is to know. So these these technologies, these enablements will provide that enterprise, that business owner, the information that they need to make decisions to be able to adapt and maybe adapt quickly and to basically participate in the way the rest of the economy and industries are heading towards. It's been an amazing journey so far and it's a really exciting future. I can't wait to chat with you again at a later date, Paul. Perhaps then you'll be able to give me a bit of a look under the hood at what 6G promises. But even this update on where we're at with 5G has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, So, Paul... Milford, thank you so much for joining us on Telstra Behind the Mic today. Thank you, Adam. I really enjoyed it. Can't wait to sort of meet up again and maybe I can tease you with some of the other cool stuff we're doing inside my my area. Bring it on. Speed to you then, Paul. Thank you. Thank you.